If you would, please join me in taking out your Bibles and turning to Luke chapter 5. As we come now to God's Word, let's go to Him in prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. So Father, as we come to you, as we come to your word, would you be pleased to meet us and feed us and change us? Father, help us who are weak and wounded, sick and sore, to be strengthened, to be healed, to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus, for we pray in his name, amen. Well, today we're in Luke 5, but uh, for the next four weeks after that, we're going to go back to Luke 1 and 2 during Advent to look at uh, four songs of the Incarnation, but We are now continuing uh, to be exposed to Luke's narrative account of who Jesus is and what he came to do. You know, we just sang this hymn, this great hymn, Jesus, I Come. Um, One of the barriers, I believe, that keeps many of us from coming to Jesus is we don't know who he is. Uh, What keeps those around us from coming to Jesus is they, they don't know who he is. And, and how do we know who Jesus is? Well, through his word. And, and here we are in Luke uh, being exposed week after week to the person and work of Jesus. He is at the center of the faith. He's the, at the core of Christianity. I think I sent a quote out the other day of Christ from Christless Christianity. Can there be such a thing? Well, if you look around, it, it seems evident that there is such a thing as Christless Christianity, or that which goes in the name of Christianity. So we are going to be directed once again to Jesus. And I want to begin, as I often do, by just asking a couple of questions to get us thinking. Um, What's your approach to a problem? What's your approach to tackling, confronting, solving a particular problem? And, and also, what's your approach to a person? What's, what determines the way you're going to speak to someone or ask someone something? What's your approach to a problem and what's your approach to a, a person? Now, I believe our approach is are determined by knowledge because we all take action based on what we know. What we know about the problem, what we know about the person, and with both problems and persons, what we know about ourselves. Now today, our text is going to be about how two people with problems approached a person. How two people with problems approach the person of Jesus of Nazareth. I think it's important to to remember why is Luke writing? He wants 
his reader then and now to, to be certain, to be sure, to be confident about who Jesus is, what Jesus came to do, and what now by the power of the Holy Spirit Jesus continues to do. Luke wants us to be confident about what we're being taught about Jesus and to know for sure that we are safe and secure with Jesus. Now, before we move on in chapter 5, I just want to look briefly back to where we were last week, um, Luke 5, verses 1 through 11, where we looked at leaving everything to follow Jesus. Now, Peter's approach to Jesus, once he saw Jesus' power, remember, once he saw the miraculous catch of fish, Peter's approach to Jesus was summed up like this, depart from me, depart from me. But Jesus, did you notice, Jesus' approach to Peter was one of reassurance. Don't be afraid. You see, Peter's awareness of his sin Jesus is wanting him and us to know doesn't disqualify him from service. Rather, it's a qualification for service. You see, Jesus does not call people who think they can help God do his work. God doesn't need or want servants who think they're doing him a favor. Jesus calls those then and now who know they need to be humble before his power and before his presence. You see, an encounter with God's presence and power is no reason to draw back from him, but rather it's a reason to approach him on the right basis, as I think we'll see today. So today we're going to explore Luke's narrative account of what happened as Jesus was in one of those cities, or one of the cities, and on one of those days when two men approached Jesus. Now, in addition to understanding how they approached Jesus and how Jesus responded, I believe we can learn a couple of general principles that applies to everyone's approach to Jesus. So let's read verses 12 through 26 of Luke 5. While he, that is Jesus, was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy, And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for cleansing as Moses commanded for proof to them. But now even more, of the, even, more, even more the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. 
And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question themselves, began to question saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. So the two general principles I believe that can apply to everyone's approach to Jesus are, first, approaching Jesus in desperation, aware of your condition. That first approach, in desperation, aware of your condition. Now let's look at the desperate condition of the leper. He's not just ill, he's an outcast. It's not leprosy as in a modern leprosy, which is known as Hansen's disease, kind of a skin disorder, but something that really encompasses the totality of a person. Any number of diseases were grouped under this category of leprosy. And this man, this leper, had not just lost his health, but through the the religious regulations of the day and the societal regulations, he's lost his family, his friends, his home, his livelihood. No one would, no one indeed was allowed to associate with him. He, He was driven out from his local community into a life of isolation and poverty. And and Luke emphasizes this by by saying he is full of leprosy. Remember, we believe Luke was a physician. He's emphasizing, in one sense, the medical condition, but that medical condition had so much built into it. He was an outcast. A number of commentators said, independently of one another, that this man was living a living death. A living death. Wrap your minds around that kind of an existence. A living death. But let's think again, or let's think now about this other man, this paralyzed man and his friends. In Mark's account, we hear of four friends. Here it just says friends. So you can think of four friends This paralyzed man is in a desperate condition as well. He can't move. He's paralyzed. He can't get to Jesus. And even if he could get to Jesus in this particular situation, it's too crowded. If you listen carefully to the the text being read, they couldn't get in through the door. They had to go up on the roof and down through the roof and Houses in that day had, many of them had external um, uh, stairways, external ladders that enabled you to get up on the roof uh, to do various things uh, as a part of how you lived in your house on the roof. And they cut a hole in and they lowered this man into the midst, lowered this man to Jesus. But 
You've got a desperate leper and you've got a, a desperate paralyzed man. His friends, his able-bodied friends are desperate for him. Now let's look at the action of Jesus toward the leper in view of his desperate condition. Notice he, he spoke and he touched. Now we may think that's not a big deal. We touch people all the time, right? We put a hand, we shake hands, we, we do fist bumps, we give hugs, but, but just as Jesus, it was shocking for him to talk to the woman at the well, here it is absolutely astonishing and shocking that he is going to touch this leper. It's renewed contact with fellow man. It's a preview of what's going to happen, a reunion with family, a reintegration in society. And Jesus is the one that begins to make this happen. Jesus commands this man. He says, I will, and we'll talk about that in a bit more detail in a moment, uh, be clean. Be clean. But Jesus also gave some Instructions. Remember, go show yourself to the priest. Make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. If you turn back to Leviticus 13, you see all these laws about leprosy. And then if you look in chapter 14 of Leviticus, you see all these things that needed to be done to, to pronounce someone cured of leprosy. I mean, two chapters, two long chapters in the Bible focused on this condition. And here, with those laws, we see there is a, a connection between this physical illness and this spiritual illness that it represents as well through the fact that, that health and ritual uncleanliness were connected in Jewish law of the time. Now, we, we know that Jesus heals this man, and this physical healing of Jesus it, it's an allegory, it's a word picture, it's, it's, it helps us understand this spiritual recovery that he gives to polluted men and women, polluted because of sin, because sin has penetrated, we know from Scripture, the deep within us. It's driven us away from the presence of God, and it's driven us away from the fellowship with others. Sin really does isolate. And we know that not only because Scripture tells us that, we know it in our own personal experience. There's a, when we sin, we, we know there's a distance between a close communion with God. And when we sin against one another, it increases the distance. We know it. This picture of this leper is a good spiritual picture, uh, a picture of mankind's spiritual condition. Our, our, our shorter catechism has a great expression of that the fall, because of the fall, man is in the estate of sin and misery. And this is what this man is in. He's in a miserable existence. Notice, before we move on, after this healing, the word gets out. Now, we don't, we don't doubt that, we don't have any idea whether this man talked or didn't talk, but somehow the word got out about Jesus and his healing, and people are crowding around him, and there are more demands. And here Jesus 
walks away. He, he doesn't embrace the popularity, but he rather embraces devotion to prayer. He withdraws to desolate places to pray. Now let's move over to the desperate condition of the paralyzed man again. In view of that desperate condition, in view of cannot move, but desirous of being healed, he had heard of Jesus. The word has gotten out, we know, according to Luke. People are coming to Jesus. These friends bring this man to Jesus. And what's Jesus' response? He forgives him and he heals him. He forgives him of his sin and he heals him from his physical condition of paralysis. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. Notice how this section ends. We have seen extraordinary things today. We've seen extraordinary things today. And what do people do? Well, the leper, we aren't told again, but he went and obeyed. The word got out. The paralyzed man, he comes in through the roof. He goes out through the door, but he goes home. What? Glorifying God. Glorifying God. The, the friends in the crowd, what do we read? They glorified God and they were filled with awe. But we'll look in a moment about the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the religious leaders. We see their response. We see that they know their theology, but they don't know the one who is before them. They don't know Jesus. Now, running through our text, as we've seen for the last few minutes, is not only desperation, but also confidence. Now, while these men are helpless in and of themselves, they are desperate. They are not hopeless because they are in the presence of Jesus and therefore they can be confident. Because these two men approach Jesus not only in desperation, aware of who they are, but they also approach Jesus in confidence, aware of who he is and what he can do. Let's think about the confidence of the leper. He's aware of his condition, yes, but he's also aware of Jesus. And when he saw Jesus, we read in verse 12, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. He is confident that Jesus has the ability, the capability. He can heal him. He can make him clean. His, his, he's confident that he can, but he's not yet assured that Jesus will. He, he doesn't know the extent yet of his compassion. He knows Jesus has power. He's heard of it. He might have even seen it, but he's not yet sure about Jesus's pity. Well, let's look now at the confidence of the paralyzed man and his friends. Aware of his inability, 
but aware of Jesus' ability. And, it, and one central aspect is Jesus is going to recognize the faith. The faith of the friends that bring this crippled, paralyzed man to Jesus and indeed aware of the faith of the man himself. You know, before I um, move on, I think it's important to see this aspect of, you know, the beggar gets to Jesus on his own. He's supposed to live outside of town. He somehow hears of Jesus coming and he makes his way to Jesus. But the, but the paralyzed man, even if he wanted to get to Jesus, he can't get to Jesus. It's his friends who bring him to Jesus. That's super important, super encouraging. Yes, everybody is going to stand based on their own faith. But think how your faith can encourage others. If you bring them to Jesus, you point them to Jesus, and, and Jesus commends this man's faith. The action of Jesus toward the leper in response to his confidence. Remember, it was with words and a touch. The, the leper was desperate. The leper was confident. And Jesus responded with words and a touch. And Jesus also responds to the paralyzed man and his friends in response to their confidence as well. If you were listening, you, you notice that Jesus first addresses this unspoken need, but this deeper need, this inner need of the cleansing of conscience before God. I think most of us have heard of that French word triage, right? Those of you in the medical world know that uh, to triage patients is to um, see what's most important and who needs the most help, who, who needs it first and fastest. And we, can, we have to do this now, we can do this later. Kids, question, somebody comes in to the emergency room with a heart attack and a broken hand, what should the nurses and doctors do first? Heart attack or broken hand? Which one? Heart attack, right? The bigger need, the greater need. Jesus, the great physician, is assessing the greater need to be forgiven. Indeed, as we will see in a few weeks in Luke 1, Zechariah prophesies about the work of his son, John the Baptist, of announcing that salvation is going to consist primarily of the forgiveness of sins. And when Jesus says, you are forgiven, he's pronouncing a forgiveness that is full, no sin, too shameful, Forgiveness that is permanent, that God will, like we heard from Psalm 103, take it away as far as the east is from the west. Forgiveness that is unconditional. He could not make himself worthy. And it's immediate. It's done as soon as God says it. Look with me again at verse 20. And when he saw their faith, he, that is Jesus, said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. 
And the scribes and the Pharisees begin to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. The religious leaders, the Pharisees, one of the three major sects, a lay sects, um, sect of the um, Jewish people, uh, they wanted to keep the nation faithful. They wanted to keep the nations adhering to the laws God had laid down, and to do that, they added other laws. They built a fence, as it were, around the law. And they had, for the most part, good theology. They're recognizing here, absolutely, only God can forgive sins. But this man is claiming he can forgive sins. He's, a, he's, he's blaspheming. He, he's sinning. Their, their, their theology is correct, but their logic, their logic is wrong. Because if only God can forgive sins and sins are being announced as being forgiven, well then this must be God. But they can't say that yet. They don't believe that yet. They're right in their theology, but they're wrong in their assessment of Jesus. So in response, Jesus asked that counter question. Forgiveness, it's easy to say, it's hard to do. It's unverifiable. The results are invisible. But not so with the counter question, rise and walk. It's easy to say it's really hard to do, but it is verifiable because the results are visible. So Jesus is using what he has power to do physically with the healing of this man to say that he also has the power spiritually to forgive this man. Because Jesus' main aim here is to show people God's glory by showing them that God is a God of grace and a God of power. What is it that brings these two men to Jesus? One man falls on his face at the feet of Jesus. The other man has to be brought by others to Jesus. But what is it that brings them? It's a combination of both desperation and confidence. It's not an either or. They're not either desperate or confident. They're not confident but not desperate. No, it's both desperation and confidence. Desperate because who they are, they know who they are. But it's also confidence because they are beginning to know who Jesus is. Earlier in our adult Sunday school class in the lesson that was uh, being taught by Sinclair Ferguson, he, he referred to the end of Romans chapter 7 where Paul says this, beginning in verse 24, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Paul here is exhibiting he is desperate. 
His condition is desperate. He needs help. Who will deliver me? And then he goes on, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Who will deliver me? Jesus will deliver me. You know, this is similar to the people that we read about in 2 Chronicles. They were surrounded, God's people were surrounded, and they, they say, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. They're desperate, but they're confident. They're desperate because they know their condition, but they're confident because they know who God is. So in view of approaching God through Jesus in both desperation and confidence, I believe there are two important statements that can be made and an important question that must be asked. First, God is approachable. God is approachable through Jesus. I mean, imagine if we went around the blocks around this building and asked people, do you think you can approach God? Some may say, oh yeah, oh yeah, I, I, I have a great relationship with God. Or some may say, no, I I can't approach God. I've done too much wrong. There's no way I can approach God. But remember, every few weeks we hear these words. Let us then with confidence draw near to, that is, approach the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. See, we know God is approachable. Do our neighbors know God is approachable? Do our family members know that God is approachable? I mean, we see these desperate men in desperate situations They know God is approachable. But second, I believe our text helps us understand that that we can approach God because God has approached us through Jesus Christ. It's the incarnation. It's what Paul writes in Galatians. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. My friends, it's so obvious, but it's so obvious to miss, right? They can approach God because God is there among them. In the person of Jesus Christ, God has come to earth. It's the incarnation Jesus of Nazareth, fully God, fully man, mysterious, yes. Walking, breathing, eating, sleeping, praying. They can approach God through Jesus because God through Jesus is approaching them. My friends, that is, that is good news. That we... We can go to God because God has come to us. 
the man, the leper, would not be cleansed, would not be healed, would not be no longer an outcast had Jesus not come. The paralyzed man would have continued to live a life immobile, a charity case, had not Jesus come. And the healings that Jesus performs are previews of coming attractions when everything broken will be repaired and made new. A glimpse of what is to come. So the two statements are God is approachable and we can approach God because God has approached us. But the question that this text asks all of us is this. How do you approach Jesus? God is approachable. God has approached us. But how do you approach Jesus? Our approach is going to be determined by our knowledge. By our knowledge of ourselves and our knowledge of Jesus. May God be pleased to give all of us here a growing knowledge of our desperate condition that we would be in apart from Christ. Or, for some hearing, the desperate condition that we may be in. And may God be pleased to give us all a growing confidence in our Savior. You know, Jack Miller, I think, is, is on to something when he says the, the Bible can be summed up in two sentences. Cheer up. You're a lot worse than you think you are. Cheer up. God's grace is a lot bigger than you think it is. My friends, our approach to Jesus is one of desperation because of who we are, but it's also an approach of confidence because of who God is. May God give us continuing desperation and confidence that we would always respond to Jesus' call to come to him by saying, Jesus, I come to thee. Let's pray. Father, would you be pleased to give us an accurate view and understanding of who we are and give us an accurate view and understanding of who Jesus is. Father, we thank you for these two accounts in the life and ministry of Jesus that have been recorded and preserved for us. May we not run from desperation away from Jesus, but run in desperation to Jesus. And may we have a confidence not in ourselves, but in our Savior. Father, we thank you that when we were dead in sin, when we were outcast, and when we were paralyzed, Jesus came he cleaned us and he healed us. Help our life 
be one of thanksgiving for your gracious work. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.